The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. This morning's time of expression and worship through song, and man, I was ready for the rapture to take place. It is so good to come together to worship the Lord. I think I so often take that for granted, that we have the privilege to be able to come together freely as believers, followers in Jesus, and to come together to worship Him, to encourage one another, to be the body here in this place, and to be encouraged and exhorted that as we leave this place, we continue to be the body of Christ where we are, where God's placed us in our neighborhoods, places we may work, schools we may be involved in. Uh, That's really the mission that He's called us to, right? When I was a little boy, uh, go ahead and take your Bible and turn with me to Acts chapter 26. Uh, Just to let you know, this is next to the last sermon that we'll have uh, in Acts. Next week we'll conclude in Acts chapter 28. And hasn't hasn't it been quite a journey to look back and and then to look forward really where uh, we are today as God continues to move through His church. The mission has not changed for 2,000 years. And first week of March, we're going to begin a study through 1st and 2nd Corinthians, that, that church that had it all together. All right. Uh, just to make you aware, all of our adult Sunday school classes, with the exception of those that are finishing up a couple other studies, will all be together in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. And our objective is that beginning in March, our children will be involved in 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Now, we'll probably have to tailor it. We won't talk about the young man who is having an affair with his, his father's mother, right? That was a real good church, wasn't it, by the way? We'll have to adjust some things in there, but the objective in that is every Sunday when I'm with my granddaughter, who will be eight, uh, nine this month, I usually typically ask her, honey, what did you guys talk about in Sunday school today, or what did you do in kids' church? And I like to involve with her to find out what she learned, and it's a reinforcing point for me as a grandfather, uh, pouring in and investing into that next generation. How many of us would all say, man, we want to see our grandchildren know and walk with Jesus? And so that's the reason we're doing this. In the, in the fall, the student ministry will all be on the same page and the same curriculum through our Sunday school and small groups. And the intention of that is, is that we can foster those tabletop conversations, those mealtime conversations with parents and their children and grandchildren with their grandparents. You like that? I think it'll be a great tool that we can use for that. So that'll begin the first week. Curriculum is available. Uh, There'll be daily uh, devotional guides that are available at the counter as an alternative to your Sunday school curriculum. And so you can have those available. Uh, Back in Acts chapter 26, when I was a little boy, many of you can relate to this. I Man, I wanted to be like my dad. Uh, I I wanted to wear my dad's gloves. My dad was an electrician by trade, and he had a tool belt, and I wore my dad's tool belt, you know, (laughs) every time I put it on. I just wanted to be like my dad. I, I remember I would put a toothpick in my mouth and one behind my ear. Then I reached a point where in life where I said, oh, man. That was my dad. (laughs) And now at this point in life, my wife made the comment yesterday that she had told our son, who's now 28, you know, he is his father. And I'm glad I'm a father. Amen? 
things in his life that I desired to emulate as he himself was a Christ follower and exhibited that in his life. Um, I'm thankful for some of those things that I had picked up from my dad and learned from my dad. But there's an example in Scripture that we have of the Apostle Paul as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that I want us to focus on a little bit this morning. As Paul had gone to his trial, if you will, as he appealed to Caesar, we saw last week how he had stated to Felix that he had a clear conscience before God and man. And wouldn't that be great as a follower of Jesus to be able to say, man, I have a clear conscience between God and man that in my life there are no areas that could be of compromise or question. There's a clear conscience there. And so Paul continued to appeal to be tried before Caesar, which was his right as a Roman citizen. And so on that journey, we saw last week how Felix had died. He had died passed away, and he had left Paul remaining there in prison for another two years to, to, to face a trial of accusations that were false that had been brought against him by the Jews in a means of persecution. And so we come to Acts chapter 26, where Festus, who had assumed Felix's position and role as governor, uh, had seen that there was really no validity to the charges that had been brought against Paul. And so King Agrippa, the Jewish king, was going to be there. And so Festus arranged an appointment with Paul before Agrippa to state his case. And that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 26. And there's some things about Paul and the statements that he makes in this passage that, that if I and you look at him as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, although we know he was an apostle, but sometimes we put him on a higher pedestal than The fact is that he was a disciple, a follower of Jesus, just like you and I. And there's some things in his life that I believe we can certainly endeavor to emulate, and nobody would argue with the point that Paul is probably the greatest example of a disciple of Jesus. And and Paul, not in arrogance, but in a a credibility to his life, would even make this statement in Philippians where he said, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So I start with the question, what is it that that made Paul a disciple of Jesus that we would want to emulate? And, And in order to see that, I think it's important for us to go back and look at Paul before he became a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus. Because Paul, pre-Christ, was far different than Paul was post-Christ after he had come to meet Jesus and was in a continual fellowship with him, following him. desiring to be a disciple. Paul kind of gives us a clear picture in Philippians 3 when he writes about his life before he had become a Christ follower. And here in his defense before Agrippa, he he begins to go into detail of this beginning in verse 19. He says this of Acts chapter 26. He says, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposition or imposing or opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. He determined that he wanted to do everything in his power to oppose the name of Jesus. And I did so in Jerusalem. And I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, a commission that he'd been given, 
But when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And what Paul was saying here is, look, when they were put to death, I took credit because I had voted that they would be put to death. Would you call that boasting in murder? That's really what he was doing. And I punished them all often in the synagogues, and I tried to make them blaspheme. Now, pause there for just a moment. That, that phrase struck me. Because Paul says, I tried to make them blaspheme God. In other words, he wasn't just waiting for one of them to say something that would be blasphemous, but he liked to lay a trap and try to entice them to blaspheme God so that he could then punish them and even by death. Now, that's pretty evil if you think about it. That's a wicked heart. And Paul is saying, this is who I was before I came to know Christ. And in raging fury, he says, against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. You see, Paul, before he came to know Christ, was we could define him as a, as a very arrogant religious person. He was full of pride. He was full of himself. He was proud of his heritage, his lineage, to the point where he came that he describes a little bit further in Philippians chapter 3 in the third chapter. Let me read this to you. Paul says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And then he goes on to say, For I was circumcised on the eighth day, according to the law, by the way, of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, I was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And as for the law, I was a Pharisee. And as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. And as to righteousness, righteousness under the law, I was blameless. And Paul had a great pride in the fact that he was all of this. It may be in a sense that I might would say today... You know, I'm proud of my heritage. I cut my teeth in the nursery of a Southern Baptist church. And when I got old enough, I became a part of Royal Ambassadors. How many of you remember that? And I advanced through the ranks of Royal Ambassador by meeting the certain merit requirements. And, and I was awarded a sword Bible because I had been the winner of the sword drill in my church growing up. You remember that? Not only that, my mother was a choir director, and I proudly sang in the choir. Actually, I didn't have any choice. She made me sing in the choir. My father was a deacon. My mother served as a, as a music minister up until she was unable to do so. Man, I have, I have a heritage in this thing, and that's what I'm standing on. The fact is, that's really what I stood on before I, like Paul, came to meet Jesus personally and recognized that all of that stuff before means nothing compared to knowing Jesus and having a relationship to him. You see, this was Paul. And, and he had such zeal that he, he went on to murder them. He was proud because he was raised and studied under one of the greatest thinkers in his day. 
Gamaliel, he, he, he knew he was a Pharisee of Pharisees and he was rising among the ranks of Pharisees and undoubtedly he was going to one day hold a high position in office. Paul, in his mind, thought he didn't need a Savior because according to the law, he was blameless. I'm convinced that before a person can truly come to know Jesus and understand the grace of God, they've got to realize and recognize that all of that other stuff means absolutely nothing when we stand before a holy God and we recognize how wretched we are in His sight. So you take all of that at the backdrop of Paul, and then Paul goes on to explain to Agrippa here in this 26th chapter of how in his endeavor to persecute Christians, he was on his way and he was traveling along a road to Damascus. And you know, we all know the story. That where the risen Christ met him there and he was thrown down and blinded and Jesus cries out, Paul, why is it that you persecute me? And Paul responded when he saw the resurrected Christ, Lord, what will you have me do? And it was at that point, I believe, that Paul had the point of recognizing that all the other stuff that he tried to hang his hat on and his pedigree of righteousness came to naught in clear visibility of the resurrected Christ who had laid his life down and shed his blood as a payment for Paul's sin. And Paul's life was radically changed at that point, like many of your lives were radically changed. And as Paul would grow in this process of being transformed by Christ in his heart, the same process that all of you and I are in, as we follow Jesus, it's his work by the Holy Spirit that he transforms us and changes us. I was thinking the other day, you know, I'm not where I want to be, but I thank God I'm not where I was when I was first saved. Amen to that? It's a process of transformation. And by the way, that never stops. I don't reach an age that I say, okay, I can stop being transformed now. I got it all figured out, right? It's going to happen until Jesus calls us home. And so in this process, Paul would get to the place that he had say in Galatians 6, far be it from me to boast in anything except in the cross of our Lord. In other words, all the other stuff that I thought was worth something, the only thing I have to boast in is the cross of Jesus Christ because that's the only thing that has been my salvation. And at that point, he lost all of his self-righteousness. Paul would later go on to say, as he was explaining himself as apostle, he says, look, I am the chief, among, the, the chief sinner among all the other apostles. That when I look at myself in relation to Christ and His holiness, I realize that I am still a wretched sinner. And in His humility, Paul admitted, I am the chief of sinners. You see, Paul was able to be vulnerable with those around him and admit his faults, admit his failures. Why? Because he knew that there was nothing good in him and that he depended on the salvation and the grace of Jesus, not only at the point of salvation, but every single day in his life, right? I'm the chief among sinners, Paul would say. Christ alone 
he recognized was one who not only would save him, but would keep him and grow him. And so he counted his righteousness of no value at all. The next thing that I recognize, as Paul would state in this in Acts chapter 26, is not only did he recognize Jesus as his Savior, but he recognized Christ as his Lord. Now, there's that debate that has gone on for decades in the Christian community. Can Jesus be your Savior and not your Lord? And I've come to a simple answer in that where I like to ask every believer, the moment you came to know Christ, was he Lord of every area of your life? No. But Paul, in that transforming, growing process, just like you and I are being transformed and growing We recognize that there are always areas in our life that he doesn't have lordship. And Paul had recognized that need as well. And he made not only Jesus his Savior, but he made Jesus his Lord as well. The second point that I'd like to point out in this passage, not only what made Paul a Christ follower, what was it that took place was that Number two, the reason he would be a disciple that we would want to emulate is that he had submitted his whole self, his whole being to God. If you'll turn back with me again to Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 8, he he makes this comment, though I have reason myself, he goes on in verse 9 to say, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. And then in Philippians chapter 4, he would say, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be made known to everyone, because the Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. And we love to take that verse and talk about not being anxious over anything, but Paul, what Paul is saying, look, I trust everything to Jesus, because I recognize and realize he alone is the sovereign God. Everything. He goes on to say in this same passage, finally, brothers, what, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is thing of, of any excellence, if anyone should be worthy of praise, think about these things. And what Paul is saying there is, listen, I'm focusing on those things which only Christ can do in me. So he's given his whole self to the Lord. The third thing we recognize in Paul's life as a disciple of Christ, not only had he made him his Savior, not only had he made him his Lord, he had submitted his whole self to him, but Paul was led by the Holy Spirit of God. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to have the idea that I can lead myself and I know better than God in my life. Anybody else with me on that? And the reason that Paul could write in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, therefore present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable. This is your reasonable act of worship. And then you will be able to know the perfect will of God is that knowing the will of God first requires that we submit our lives to the direction of the Holy Spirit of God. 
You see, Paul had, had learned to realize that it wasn't about him, it was a, about Paul, it was about him. He echoed the same kind of words that Jesus echoed when he said to the Father, Father, not my will, but whose will? Your will be done. And the question I have for myself and the question we would ask ourselves this morning is, are there any areas that we're not submitting to the Holy Spirit of God in our lives? It may be a major thing or it may be a very little thing. But listen, God wants all of us. It may be that we might be holding on to value of tradition or value of self-righteousness when God is saying, look, you need to recognize that it is only by His grace that you've been saved and only by His grace that you are going to be kept. Depend on Him and the Holy Spirit in that in your life. And the result we see as Paul as a disciple of Christ, a follower of Christ, is that we see all through his ministry that he completed that, that process of discipleship, not only following Christ, not only being transformed by Christ, but Paul was very active in making other disciples. And that, by definition, is clearly what a disciple of Jesus is, one who follows him, one who's being transformed by him, and one who is also making other disciples. The next thing I'd like to point out is is that he depended wholly on God, completely on God. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15.10, basically, by the grace of God, I am what I am. How many of us realize and recognize that there's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to cause us to grow spiritually or to be sanctified? Now, we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. We're obedient to the Word of God, but it's God who does that work in us. And maybe somebody can be set free from that activity of trying to be in their own efforts and trust God that God is only the one who has the power and the ability to transform our lives into the image of Christ. You see, Paul understood and knew that Jesus was his all in all. He knew that there was nothing apart from him knew that in this particular instance when he is standing before Agrippa and Festus and he's making his case here and there are false accusations that his destiny was in the hands of God and not in himself. In the midst of trials, trusting God. The last thing that we see that Paul would state in this chapter or why he would be a disciple that we would want to emulate and follow was that he also looked for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I was thinking as I was thinking on this point, when was the last time I really meditated and thought about the fact that Jesus is coming back? And we may have different, or there may be different theological persuasions in this room as to the time of that. But we would all agree and hold on to the hope that Jesus is coming back. And until that point, until that time, God has given us a mission to be involved in. Somebody asked Martin Luther, I think it was, what would you do if you knew that Jesus was coming back tomorrow? And Martin Luther said, I'd plant a tree today. 
I love that. And I think what Martin Luther was saying in that was, look, I recognize and know that Jesus is coming back, but it wouldn't change a thing that I'm doing today because I'm doing exactly what he's called me to do. That's a question for us today. Are we doing exactly what he would be calling us to do in this time? You see, Paul lived daily with the recognition that soon Jesus would be returning. Back to Acts chapter 26, after Paul had laid out his defense before Agrippa. I find it interesting, this dialogue beginning in verse 24, where Paul and Festus are going back and forth, and Luke records for us, and as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul? his loud voice, right? Paul, are you out of your mind? Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. In other words, you're too smart for your own good is what he was saying. Paul said, hey, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, for I am speaking true and rational words. For the king knows about these things, and to him I speak boldly, for I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time would you persuade me to be a Christian? And I love what Paul said. Whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also who hear me this day might become as I am, except for these chains. In response to these things, as Paul, as a Christ follower, disciple of Jesus, I would have to ask my question I have to ask myself this question as we all would ask this question. Lord, what would you have us to do? God, what would you have me to do? And there were four specific things that came to my mind as I look back over this passage and seeing Paul as a disciple of Jesus and my desire, first of all, to emulate Jesus. But boy, Paul is a great example there. Number one was this. That I desire the Holy Spirit to work in me that I would yield my whole life entirety in submission to God's will. Is that your desire this morning? The second thing would be that I would walk in a continual presence, as Paul would say in Ephesians, that I would continually be filled with the Spirit, and the evidence of that would be that I would display in my life those things are, that are the fruit of the Spirit of God and not of the fruit of the flesh, that I would yield to the Holy Spirit and walk submitted to Him in every area of my life. Is that your desire this morning? The third thing that I would learn to utterly depend on God. Yesterday we had a deacon's retreat. 
And I so was looking forward to being with the deacons. By the way, man, we have a great body of deacons at this church. Can I say amen to that? And so I desired to be with them, and lo and behold, my water heater went out on Friday. And how many of you know, how many of you know that if mama doesn't have hot water, she's not happy? So it became an urgent need, and the plumber couldn't make it Friday as I had gone to pick up a water heater, and he promised me he'd be there early Saturday morning. He had a quick job he had to do, and then he'd be right there. Well, the day went on further and further and further, and I'm getting frustrated. I'm getting irritated. I'm getting aggravated because he said he would be there this morning, and I didn't care if he was taking somebody else's water heater priority. I wanted mine fixed, right? I remember sending Jim a text yesterday. I said, you know, I think I'm understanding this whole sovereignty of God thing a little more because here's a situation that's totally out of my control. Nothing I can do about it. But you know what? I'm going to trust that God is working. He is in control, and God will fulfill his purposes this day. Can we trust God in everything Lastly, that I would live my life moment by moment as if Jesus could come at any time. And the desire is that we would all come to the end of this life as a disciple on this earth, a follower of Christ. That we would be able to say what Paul said when he wrote to Timothy. Timothy, I fought the fight. I've kept the faith. Father, we pray that as we reflect on these characteristics of Paul as a disciple, God, that we would somehow bring him off of that pedestal of, of an apostle. Lord, we recognize that he was an apostle, but God, just like us, he had to be born again. He had to be saved. From the penalty of sin. Lord, he could not depend on all of his pedigree to save him. He couldn't depend on his self-righteousness to save him. But God, only on the shed blood of Jesus. God, as, as we as individuals who make up this community of believers here at First Baptist Conyers. God, would we be yielded to the Holy Spirit of God on a daily basis or being transformed by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God so that we might become more like your Son, Jesus? And God, would you use us to bring others to that knowledge with the motivation of loving them Lord, we love you, we bless you, we magnify you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.